Live from the glamorous Miyamoto Ballroom at the Beverly Hilton, it's the 77th Annual Cartridge Awards with your hosts, Patrick Ellers and Mark Mitchell. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. I mean, what can you say, Patrick? It's gaming's biggest day. Afternoon? At morning? What time? No, whenever, whenever you're listening to yeah. this, I think. <laughs> it, look, it is gaming's biggest day. Uh, you may think that we are, of course, referring to the Game Awards, which are, in fact, happening tonight. Uh, and streaming on whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah, happening this afternoon in a, we, like, it's at 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. But it goes for, like, five and a half hours. <laughs> I guarantee you that this award ceremony will, not, the one that we're about to present to you right here, the uh, 77th Annual Cartridge Awards, will be tighter than that. Um, <laughs> but we've got a lot of good, we've got just tons of good awards to to hand out today, so we shouldn't uh, screw around too much. Mm-hmm. But you know, just wanted to go over the sort of regular business at the top here. Of course, my copy of Sonic Forces. Would you like to borrow it? The answer is yes. You would like to borrow it. All you gotta do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail dot com, uh, and then give us a mailing address, and then you maybe get my copy of Sonic Forces. Uh, but what might happen there, Mark? Ooh, you might get the goose. Ooh, might get the goose. There's a, a copy of Untitled Goose Game that might be inside a box for Sonic Forces. And if you receive that one, I just don't know what to tell you. And also, if you want that one, I don't know what to tell you there either. It's a, a, a total... <laughs> no request. It's a total crapshoot. Yeah, no requests. If This is a no requests live, an NRL um, scenario here. Um, and then uh, the other thing that you can do with that email address, and this one is important, uh, we are going to be doing an episode at the end of the year where we predict with a large degree of certainty, what will happen with Nintendo in 2021. But we need your help to do it. So if you have any predictions about what is going to happen in the world of Nintendo in 2021, please email us at NintendoCartridgeSociety at At gmail.com. Thank you so much to everyone who has emailed us already. Um, Again, uh, I mentioned this on Tuesday's episode, but uh, look, if you've got, if you think your predictions are are too crazy, I can guarantee you they are not crazy enough. Send them along. And the more predictions you have, the better. I'm so happy at the responses that we're getting. And I just want more of this insanity in my life. So please email us. Uh, Mark, you, I've been previewing these predictions and you're going to love this. I can't wait. And uh, just to make sure, I can't remember if you already said it, but the deadline mm. to get these into us is Friday, December 18th. So the time is short. It is only eight yes. days away. Yes. We're, we're, putting, we're really putting the, the screws on here, right? Uh, tight, tightening the screws. Thumb, why, I'm thinking of like thumb screws. The, like the, that torture we, device. Oh, right. <laughs> ah, yes, of course. That thing that we you are know. always doing to people. My point is get your... <laughs> predictions in early oh no um so we can talk about them on the show it'll be a fun episode mark speaking of fun episodes are you ready to get into the topic i am so ready let's do it
So the the Cartridge Awards, of course, every year um, we come in with a bunch of different categories, uh, and Mark and I are both able to nominate uh, as many as three uh, people or entries for for each category, and then we debate um, to determine the winner. Um, Mark, would you uh, like to announce the first category, please? Yeah, so the first category is the best vehicle or means of conveyance in a Nintendo game. Very good. Um, so uh, I, I I would like to present my three um, uh, nominations for this yeah, category first. Yeah, go first. for it. Um, first is Plessy from Super Mario 3D World. Plessy is, of course, uh, the dinosaur who uh, you ride on his or her back got like a little uh scarf around his neck is totally pleasant we'll wave to you when you leave um the robobot armor from kirby planet robobot um it's it's a mech suit that kirby rides in adorable and finally the sea sub from star tropics that is the submarine that you uh sail the ocean in in star tropics on the nes okay uh those are good those are really good a lot Thank of you. F- food for thought uh, my nominations are the Master Cycle Zero, which Very is good. the unlockable that you get at the end of the Breath of the Wild um, Champions Ballad DLC, where you just have this like, like really really thin, um, it's like story reason that the Sheikah have this like motorcycle you can ride around, which like sure it's super fun. Um, the uh, just the R wing. From uh, sure. the Star Fox series, um, Rambi from Donkey Kong Country, and then I just kind of have like a blanket one, and Ooh. maybe we need to debate whether this is cheating or not, because if it's cheating, I have a couple of these that I'm going to have to change on the fly, but, it's, <laughs> but basically it's like Final Fantasy airships, and I know that Final mm. Fantasy is not exclusive to Nintendo, Um and so if that's problematic, we should get that out of the way right now. Well, okay. So I, I, I don't know if that is uh, blanket problematic because it is from a Final Fantasy game and Final Fantasy games are not, um, uh, are not Nintendo games. I believe I have a, at least one not uh, Nintendo published game or thing from a not Nintendo published game in here. Um, I, think, I think it's okay. I think, I think it is okay. The reason I th- I think I do want to throw it out though is that there are so many different airships mm, in Final Fantasy mm-hmm. and they have different characteristics and you know there are some of them like the High Wind in um Final Fantasy 7 or the Interceptor in Final Fantasy 6 that I think are very important airships. Also that was my fourth nomination anyways. So it's yeah, fine. I, I, I agree mean, without it. I wasn't going <laughs> to <laughs> I wasn't going to call you out on that part. I thought Mark's doing what Mark wants to do. <laughs> okay, so just, just to review, uh, the, the nominees are Plessy, the Robobot Armor, the C-Sub, the R-Wing, Rambi, and Master Cycle Zero. And Master Cycle Zero from Breath of the Wild. Um, some good picks here. Um, I almost want to throw out the, uh, the Living Creatures um plessy mm-hmm. and 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 rambi um they are good means of conveyance and they are good um but i al- i almost feel like it, it's short changing them to reduce them to just a means of conveyance yeah especially because yeah that's true and especially like rambi in some of the later games you just can play as rambi in sections what a like, great point yeah it's, you're not just writing him um so 
I know I included the R-Wing on the list, and I think the R-Wing is cool, but I don't feel totally, like, tied to the R-Wing, partly because it's just an X-Wing It's just an X-Wing, yeah. And that's, like, w- that's why you like it. That's why you like Star Fox is because yes, it's, correct. like, such an amalgamation <laughs> of all that, of, like, Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. um, yeah, like, it it's so blatantly a ripoff that um, I think it's okay to not include the R-Wing. Um, I think that is fair. I think uh, I, I will also put forth that um, we could cut out the uh, Robobot armor, um, which again, maybe not actually a means of conveyance so much as it like it does convey you from place to place, but it may in fact be more of a weapon um, or a wearable, um, which I think then would just bring us down to either the C sub uh, from Star Tropics. Or the Master Cycle Zero. <laughs> of course, the two means of conveyance <laughs> right. everybody yes. immediately thinks of when they think of uh, Nintendo games. So can, can I make, a, uh, can I make a, an impassioned argument for the, the C-Sub I think from you have Star to. Tropics? So this is one of those, uh, like, it's, it's, it's an almost pointless uh, vehicle in terms of, like, the gameplay, but it is uh, utterly necessary in terms of the narrative of the game and in terms of the immersion. Um, one of the, you know, sort of anti-piracy measures that Star Tropics had was that you needed a special code to operate the, um, the submarine to get past like the second or third level or something like that. And the only way to get this code back in, you know, 1991 when this game came out was to have a letter that originally came with like the physical copy of the game and you dip the letter in water and you're instructed to do this like within the game. Uh, to dip the, a letter in water, and then it reveals the hidden code, 747. Um, but it reveals this code to you, and then you enter it in, and then you can continue playing the game. Um, but without it, you are unable to uh, you know, progress in, in, the, in the story because you are unable to pilot the C-sub, um, which means that the C-sub somehow exists in both the game and your reality. It is a fourth wall shattering vehicle that brings you into the game itself. Um, it, for me, it's, it's just very important. Yeah. That, uh, I forgot. Cause you know, like um, I feel like part of the myth of star tropics is the fact that it had a puzzle that like you could only solve yes. with that like physical medium. Um, I didn't know that it was tied to this submarine. Uh, so that that's that is really cool. I mean, I wish I could make a, such like an impassioned plea for the way that like the Master Cycle Zero is some like you know uh, fifth dimensional <laughs> video right. game creation. Unfortunately, that, not that exists and like doesn't exist and um, is driving us all mad. And I really can't make that argument. So I think almost by default, this the uh, the submarine from Star Tropics is our is our winner here. Not that it's like a, a, a victory of forfeiture, just that I think it has the strongest argument going for it. All right. So the winner of best vehicle or means of conveyance in a Nintendo game goes to C-Sub from Star Tropics. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Actually, before we move on to the next one, um, yes. I do think that it's important if we establish whether these are definitive awards that stand oh, the yes. test of time or whether these are like the cartridges are a separate thing that like we're not forever tying ourselves to um the submarine being like the best vehicle or means of conveyance i mean this is important because uh, so i'm, I'm going to say that these uh that these the cardies that we give out here today 
um, are just cardies and they are not definitive proclamations. Um, because you could say in some way that we are burning up eight different episode topics in, <laughs> in this one episode. Uh, so no, if if we as a as a show and not as an awards granting institution want to revisit these topics on a separate date and really come up with a best vehicle or means of conveyance with Matt Acevedo or whatever, I think I think we can do that and it won't be in conflict with the awards that we give out today. Okay, I, I'm in 100% agreement with that. And I do think the distinction you're making between the two bodies, between the uh, yes. the award-giving body and the uh, show proper... The entertainment product, yes, that is, NCS. is really yes. important because as members of the voting body for the awards, we are definitely open to bribes, whereas that is not the case That's right. for uh, the regular show. That's right. The, the NCS, the entertainment property, has integrity. The award-granting body has none. Mark, the next uh, award that we have up for consideration is Best Idol Animation in a Nintendo Game. Um, Mark, would you please read your nominees? So I'm starting with Mario in Super Mario Odyssey. The It's... The amount of idle animations and like the loving detail in the idle animations are all amazing. The one that I specifically want to call out is um, it's an evolution of a classic. If you let Mario uh, just be idle for long enough in a comfortable like location, he eventually falls asleep. And the process of him falling asleep is really cute because there's like three different stages. First, his like eyes get heavy. Cappy's eyes start getting heavy. Then he like <laughs> kind of like leans on his side and then he decides to like lay on his back. And then when he lays on his back, a bird comes and lands on his nose. And depending on what kingdom you're in, a different I love like, this. I uh, love like that. kingdom appropriate bird shows up. Uh, so I really, I really love this idol animation in Super Mario Odyssey. Um, another one I think is really great. And it's another uh kind of like collection of ones is just the idle animations in Don in the donkey kong country games um it's true for the snes games and for the like the returns and tropical freeze as well one of the things i like about the uh, idle animations in the original snes donkey kong country games is that they're all really like playful in the sense that uh they the donkey kong and like diddy kong like they don't get mad at you for not playing they just like look for stuff to do. They just like keep themselves entertained until you come back. Okay, so I actually one of my nominations is Donkey Kong in Donkey Kong Country. Um, do you want to uh, call out a specific yes. uh, character? Okay. So the so I I will also do Donkey Kong, but I'm gonna do the one from Tropical Freeze where he pulls out a 3ds and uh, plays it if you leave him idle for long enough. Uh, that's that that's adorable. And and your third. My third is, this is again where we're like, does this really count? My third is Sonic the Hedgehog. And, uh, counts. Totally counts. <laughs> and, you know, I just said that uh, I like the Donkey Kong Country ones because they don't get impatient with you. <laughs> but Sonic the Hedgehog is completely the opposite. Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. has attitude because that was Sega's whole thing. Um, you know, and he's like wagging his finger at you, uh, tapping his foot impatiently. And uh, when I was thinking about this, what I realized is that um, I didn't have a Genesis growing up, but Mario, until uh, the N64, like Mario himself didn't have idle animations. So you're playing yeah, like Super Mario World. You stop and he just stops, like nothing happens. 
but that is not the case for Sonic. Like from the fir- from the get go, Sonic was much more like that. It was just something I had never seen before, and I remember that like idle animation feeling like magic. Um, I would also say that the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog idle animation is um, almost remarkably subtle, considering how unsubtle the character is. Like he taps his foot, he checks his watch, he looks at the camera, and like. That's it. You know, he he could be more in your face about like, come on, we got to go. We got to go. Um, but it's really just him annoyedly wondering why you're not making him run. Which I think is great. Yeah. Um, so my my nominations are uh, Donkey Kong from the original Donkey Kong Country, um, which is is not much. He doesn't do much. He looks back and forth. He uh, beats his chest and goes, woo, 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 woo. Uh, and that's it. Uh, and then we'll, it'll start over again. Um, very simple, but I like it a lot. Um, uh, another one of my nominations here is Mario from Super Mario 64. Mark, you discussed a little bit more the, uh, the evolution of that in Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, what I like about the idle animation in Super Mario 64 uh, is um, that Mario never, like, he, you said if uh, in Odyssey, if Mario is somewhere comfortable, he'll fall asleep. He never seems to get comfortable in 64. He'll fall asleep, like, sitting up and go, I'm a tired. And it's uh, uh, adorable. Um, and then my final nomination is, of course, Luigi from the Luigi's Mansion series. Um, singing to himself because he's scared, uh, shaking a little bit. Um, it's just cowardly little motions. Uh, and it feeds into, you know, the uh, very fabric that is uh, Luigi's Mansion. Um, so, Mark, our nominees are as follows. Uh, Mario from Super Mario Odyssey, Donkey Kong from Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, Sonic the Hedgehog, Donkey Kong from Donkey Kong Country, Luigi from Luigi's Mansion, and Mario from Super Mario 64. I, just right off the bat, tend to lean towards either Luigi or Sonic. I agree. It's it's Luigi or Sonic, and the rest of them like are cute or whatever. But Luigi and Sonic are so revealing about their characters that I think they are the obvious front runners. Yeah, I th- yeah exactly. Um, and I feel like for me, I- I'd probably give the nod to Luigi, um, just because for a really like yes, it is remarkable that right out of the gate, like Sonic had such personality. But I think for the longest, for a very long time, like Luigi didn't really have personality outside of physical character characteristics, and I yes. think that like that extra bit of like shading that um we get from you know like the Luigi Mansion series and those idle animations that give a little bit more like insight into his character make him more noteworthy. I mean, it's tough though because the Sonic idle animation is iconic right? Like, it's probably the most popular idol animation, right? Or the most well-known, um, mm-hmm. like, maybe in history. And I know we're, we're a Nintendo podcast and not a, a Sega podcast, but I almost think that the Sonic the Hedgehog one is a better idol animation, or at least a, mm. a more noteworthy one. Um, I, I Honestly, I could go either way on this one, so if, if you feel super strongly about Luigi, we'll go with Luigi. Um, but I think... I think Sonic may be the rightful winner of this. See, I think uh, I don't feel super strongly about it. I, um, I, I could totally go either way. I felt compelled to give Luigi the nod because we are a Nintendo podcast, 
but I but also I recognize that I uh, nominated Sonic. Um, <laughs> and well, and you have to remember that we are not the NCS Entertainment product right now. We are the awards granting institution. That's right. Which we've established is crooked. So if we want to give it uh, to Luigi because we say he plays by the rule and Sonic doesn't, uh, we can do that. Well, I also think that uh, like the the era of Sonic and Mario like not getting along is long past. Totally right. Um, and so for that reason, I don't feel that bad giving it to Sonic the Hedgehog. So I think the rightful winner is Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is the winner of the best idle animation in a Nintendo in a Nintendo game. <laughs> Uh, all right, Mark, will you please introduce the next category? Yes, our next category is best hat on a Nintendo character. And as you are seeing, we're kind of loosely defining what Nintendo character means. <laughs> uh, yes, I suppose we are. Um, all right, so best hat. I think there are a, a lot of um, obvious picks uh, for this one. Um, I wonder if, if we'll uh, tread any of the, the super obvious picks. Uh, my nominees are as follows. <clears throat> Kix's Newsy Cap from Animal Crossing. Um, you know, Kix, the uh, little skunk who sells shoes and backpacks yes. and stuff. Um, he's got like a little Newsy Cap and he looks adorable in it. Um, and uh, there's very little else that I like about Kix except his hat <laughs> and his little vest. Um, so I, I, I imagine I him having give like it up a, for the hat. yeah, I imagine Kix having like a, like a Brooklyn accent. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then uh, my, my second nominee is uh, Samus Aran's helmet from the Metroid series. Uh, is a helmet a hat? I'm going to say for the purposes of this award, yes, it is. Um, the visor is iconic. Um, I love seeing the reflection of Samus's face in, in that visor in, when you're in first-person mode in, in Metroid Prime. Um, it's just so cool looking. Everything else about uh, Samus's outfit gets like bigger and bulkier and like tougher uh as the game as individual games progress and as the series progress but that helmet stays the same they knocked it out of the park right away um and then the final my final nominee is of course waluigi's hat complete with stick on upside down l <laughs> uh right in the middle of it Ooh, those are good um so i mean i am going to put something forward but then i think immediately retract it but I feel like Very the good. Meryl Streep of hats is the hats that come with Kirby's copy ability from Super Smash Brothers. Oh, okay. So, so like all Kirby hats. Basically. It's basically wow. the best hat on a Nintendo character goes to Kirby's copy ability hats, which is in fact like, what, like 70 hats at this point or something? Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible, though, because you do have to assume that that is one hat or, like, one thing, right? It is one phenomenon of, like, does Kirby generate that? Because he spits everything out, right? right? Like, he swallows Bayonetta, spits Bayonetta out, and then has hair on the top of his head. He didn't steal that hair from Bayonetta. He copied it somehow. Right, yeah, and then, like, manifested it. Maybe almost like a chameleon, I think, can, yeah. like, manifest different colors. So that's something Hence for the us. Streep comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something for us to chew on. Um, okay. But while we're while we're considering that, I will also another like nominee that I wanted to make was Toad because um, 
like interest. And I know okay. that I know where, that where it's controversial. I know that it's controversial. But I right. think like Toad's head um is arguably a hat. And I can't remember where we came down on this in the past, but I'm including it here because while it may be functionally part of uh, a toad's body, I think uh, as far as the icon iconography goes, it is a hat. I mean, I'll write it down, but I don't. <laughs> I think you're out of your mind, Mark. <laughs> I think when you look at it, it is purposefully designed to look like a hat, and uh, I and I don't think we have a definitive answer on whether it's a hat or head. Uh, yeah, we. I guess we don't, but we do know that when a toad wears headphones, that the headphones are connected to like the outside of like the bulb that is right. that mushroom thing, but, but implying that his ears are in there. Yeah, I mean that does but, exactly that they're in there. I feel like it raises more questions than it answers because it's like, is it like if you have a beanie pulled over your head and your ears are underneath it, or is it saying that there's like ear canals in that bulb? And that uh, are just would only be like you'd only be able to see it in like super high definition. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that that's one of your <laughs> nominees. <laughs> Do you have a third? Okay. Here, uh, does this count as a hat? Minda's. I can't believe all of your <laughs> suggestions have to be <laughs> investigated as to whether or not they're hats. Mark <laughs> Midna's headdress. Oh, from this is uh, the excellent. legend, the Legend of Zelda: uh, Twilight Princess. Now, I think you could argue that it is a like mask, um, with like a headband around it or something. But I am including it as headgear, because uh, that's probably the least like uh, controversial of my um, nomination. Um. So, w what are th those? Uh... Is it called like a a piece of uh, a fragment of Twilight or or something? The uh, because mm -hmm. it is j it's one of four objects that like you actually go into dungeons and fight for the other three. And I'm I'm sorry that the name is uh, escaping me right now, um, but it is definitely a like super powerful object in the world of Twilight Princess. Um, and I just wish I could remember what it is but i i think that is a that is a great pull she wears it on her head therefore it is a hat okay so yeah then those are those are my three if we're okay with it okay so the nominations uh a fused shadow is what it's called oh nice um, uh so the nominations for best hat on a nintendo character are kix's newsy cap from Animal Crossing, Samus's helmet from the Metroid series, Waluigi's hat with an upside down L sticker. Um, that was Waluigi. I don't know if I said Waluigi or, or Luigi. Uh, Kirby's copy ability hat, Toad's head, or <laughs> Midna's fused shadow headdress. Um, Mark, I I'm sorry, man. I gotta throw out Toad's head. It's not a hat. <laughs> I don't I don't think it should be considered here. I respect your opinion. I don't think it would have won anyways. I think you're wrong and probably dangerously wow. wrong, but wow. I but I respect uh our ability to disagree. I think it's one of the strengths of this show. I, I will agree with that wholeheartedly. Um that it is one of the strengths of the show. One of the problems with the award granting committee, however. <laughs> Um, are, are there other things on here that you think are, are easy to, to throw out? Like, it's good thing you were nominated, but, like, you're not going to win this award. I do feel that way about Waluigi's hat, which uh, I've expressed my love for, like, the myth 
of Waluigi that, you know, the fact that we know nothing about him, but he appears to have a very rich, like, uh, backstory that Nintendo just, like, yes. doesn't care to share with us. Um, but I, and I like that it is a nod to, like, Mario's cap, because I think that is an obvious one that didn't get nominated. Uh, you might say, like, I'm sure there was a Deadline article saying that it got snubbed, um, Mario's hat in this category, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, we're also not, you know, uh, we're not considering Link's talking hat from uh, the Minish Cap. So that's you know, true. Or Link's hat in general, although like iconic, but not that great. Right, right, right. Look, sometimes it is incumbent on uh, award shows to shine a light on otherwise underrepresented <laughs> uh, media, right? So it's, it, we're, we're, we're doing our part. The award granting committee, well, <laughs> well, crooked is also uh, principled in, in some ways. Um, so, okay, Waluigi's hat and Toad's head uh, have both been disqualified or taken out of consideration. Yeah, uh, I kind of feel like Kirby's copyability hat is almost, like, too overpowered. Because really, we're talking about, like, like I said, like, 50 hats and not really, like, one iconic hat. And also, in the example that we gave, um, uh, you know, I realized halfway through describing the hat that I was describing hair. So... I, yeah, I think it that's is true. frequently hair. So yeah, so disqualified for too frequently being hair. Um, that leaves us with uh, the kicks newsy cap, Samus's helmet, and Midna's fuse shadow headdress. I gotta say, um, not a, a, a nominee that that I came in with, but Midna's headdress is such a good pull um, that I feel like either that or um, the newsy cap on kicks should should be our winner. Over Samus's helmet? I mean, maybe. I feel like Samus's helmet, again, uh, you know, I said it counts as a hat, but like, does it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it does, but I, w- okay. I'm okay with removing um, Kicks from, for me, I don't think Kicks mm. takes it. But one thing that I like about the Newsy Cap on Kicks is that it does, in my opinion, so much heavy lifting to give that character like personality. Yeah, I I will agree with that one hundred percent. I think what this means that we're coming down to, um, because uh, you were willing to throw out kicks and I was willing to throw out Samus, that uh, Midna's few shadow headdress is in fact the winner of best hat on a Nintendo character. I I I like it. Midna's fused shadow. I love it. Um, all right. So the next category that we have uh, up for consideration is best castle best castle in a in a nintendo game mark would you please read your three nominees okay so i'm starting with uh garrig mock monastery and i grant it is not it is a monastery not a castle by definition but I kind of feel like it's a castle. Like I'm, I'm looking to you, Patrick, to see if I, I can slide this one in here. Uh, Mark, this is one of my nominees as well. Okay. All right. Oh, wait. Uh, okay. So, um, okay. So we'll put Gergmach Monastery from uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I don't think I said that. Yes. Uh, up there. Another one I have is Dracula's Castle from the Castlevania series, and I will Ooh, say excellent specifically excellent. from uh, Super Castlevania Four. Uh, just because that is one that lives large in my head. Um, and then the final one that I'm going to put up there is uh, Peach's Castle from the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, but I will specifically say from Super Mario 64, 
Um, you know, like it is uh in higher fidelity in other games. But yeah. to me, like the fact that you're able to explore the inside of it to the degree that you are in Super Mario 64 is part of the things, one of the things that like makes that game so special uh, is that like more and more layers of the castle like get unveiled and you're going outside and you're draining the moat and like doing all sorts of crazy stuff uh, makes it just like really memorable. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, the uh, first example I can think of of like a hub world that feels meaningful and fun to explore all on its own. Um, and part of that is just like, you know, the, the Mario-ness of it that like, I love running around and jumping as Mario, but I love running around and jumping in that space specifically. I think Peach's Castle is an excellent pull, Mark. Uh, granted, it's infested. The walls are infested with the ghosts of toads, but... It's not um... clear what's happening there. No one really knows. <laughs> it also has, you know, art that you can jump into. It's a wild place, man. Um, all right, so my, uh, I obviously, Garrick Mach Monastery is, is one of my no- nominees as well, um, but let that not uh, sway anyone into thinking that that will be the automatic winner, um, because that is not, uh, that is not necessarily the case. Um, my second nominee is Hyrule Castle from Breath of the Wild. So this is the Hyrule Castle that has been taken over by Calamity Ganon and sits in the center of the kingdom and is something that you can see out on the horizon at any time. You can make a, a, an attempt on breaching the castle walls anytime you want. It is one of the, I think, the only time in the game where, like, crossing a threshold makes the game load something new um, because it is so dense, it's so complex, and is, like, the one large still-standing building in the world of the Breath of the Wild uh, Hyrule. Um, and just uh, what a cool, like, uh, silhouette that thing cast mm-hmm. in the sky it's it's awesome um and then my final nominee is heliodor castle from dragon quest 11s echoes of, of an elusive age definitive edition which of course is not a uh nintendo game uh but was in fact published by nintendo on the switch um my love for dragon quest uh 11s echoes of the loose fish edition for the nintendo switch has been well documented on the ncs entertainment product um and so uh, i i don't feel the need to uh go over it too much but heliodor castle is a place that you uh go to early in the quest uh like very early um with the hero and eric and where you are um sort of learning the very uh premise of the game um, that you are the uh, foretold hero, um, but then you're thrown in prison because they're like, the hero uh, brings about the evil. Um, but in reality, that's not what's going on. Um, but you return to this location again and again, sort of as the world changes and as your characters change, um, and you see it through a new light, sometimes from a place of power, sometimes with allies who are in good at the, at the castle, sometimes to defeat people who live at the castle. Um, so it's a very cool and dynamic location for a very cool and dynamic game. Um, Mark, this is a tough category. The, uh, the, the nominees, to, to recap them all, are Hyrule Castle from Breath of the Wild, Garrick Mach Monastery from Fire Emblem Three Houses, Heliodore Castle from Dragon Quest XI S Echoes of the Elusive Age Definitive Edition, Dracula's Castle from Super Castlevania IV, and Peach's Castle from Super Mario 64. So one thing I'll say... Um, as we're trying to like weed these out for uh Garrick or I guess like about Garrick Mach Monastery yes. is that uh so much of Fire Emblem Three Houses 
happens there. Um, but I don't know that it has like the most personality as like a location itself. That now that that, that is interesting because you're right, and it's you know the Fire Emblem games aren't used to having like a hub world like that or like a place that you keep returning to. They usually try to keep that sort of abstract. Um, that just like a series of menus or like a map or something like that, which, you know, in fairness is how you like, if you choose to treat uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses that way, you don't have to actually do any running around the castle or like interacting with people. You can manage all that either from menus or um, just automating it. Um, so I think, yeah, if you can automate your experience with a castle, it's probably not that good of a castle. Yeah, so I think it's fair to remove that one um and i just haven't made it far enough in uh dragon quest 11s echoes of elusive age definitive edition for the nintendo switch to like have an opinion on heliodor castle and so i think it's great that it got nominated but i wouldn't put it on my list personally which i didn't very good um okay so that brings us down to hyrule castle from breath of the wild dracula's castle from castlevania and or from super castlevania 4 and Peach's Castle from Super Mario 64. I think let's let's examine uh, Peach's Castle for just a second because I want to make sure that we are not having it on there as just a uh, like a nostalgia point or like a a, a relic of something. Um, and I, I think I'm gonna have to defer to you a little bit because when um, uh, Super Mario 3D All Stars came out, um, I played all the way through uh, Super Mario 64, loved it, felt no reservations about playing a 20 year old game or whatever. Um, and that it was a little bit of a different experience for you. Um, do you believe that it still holds a place on on this list of nominees? Yeah, I do. I actually think that, uh, like, I, I, I really liked playing Mario sixty four because, uh, you know, in I don't have nostalgia for it, and there were a lot of things that like I found frustrating about that game. But Peach's Castle was definitely not one of them. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's one of the like strengths of that game is the setting and the like the sense of like discovering and making your way through the different parts of the castle and just being kind of like surprised at what each uh, area can hold. And so, yeah, I think it's one of the things that holds up best about that game. Um, that 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 it's an excellent point. Um, so I guess we will keep it in the running. Um. I may move here to knock out Dracula's castle from Castlevania, Super Castlevania 4. Um, obviously a great castle, obviously a, a, a fun, moody game. It is, you know, sort of borrowing from Konami, which is in turn sort of borrowing from, uh, you know, Dracula, Nosferatu, you know, <laughs> like it's, it is uh, not as much a Nintendo castle as obviously Hyrule Castle or Peach's Castle are. I also think that, um, kind of a knock against uh dracula's castle in those first four castlevania games um different from like both peach's castle and hyrule castle is that like the interior of like hyrule castle in breath of the wild and to a lesser degree but still more in my opinion than dracula's castle from super castlevania 4 is like they have an internal logic to them whereas like dracula's castle like ostensibly you're making your way to the top, but like it doesn't really, not every area like organically connects to the next in a way that you're like, ah, yes, of course, like this would follow that. 
Right. And it's not like, oh, yes, I understand why or how someone would have lived here. Right. And look, like, Peach's Castle is completely bonkers, right? Like, it, it's sure. not like it's completely logical or anything. But the sense of space, I think, benefits from being 3D mm-hmm. and being like, okay, I enter this door and that door is always there and I can return to this area whenever I want. So I think, like, just like that fact is, um, like, elevates Peach's Castle and Hyrule Castle. Um, and Hyrule Castle, I would say, uh, actually does have a pretty solid sense of, like, you know, it, it is a, a ruined castle, but when you are in, like, the parts of it that are, you know, sort of still standing, that, like, the, the banquet halls and, like, stables and stuff that feel real or feel like they were real spaces at, at one point, um, maybe give it an edge in, like, a realism or, like, a, a fidelity angle, but, like, what is it really expressing other than ruin, which the rest of the game expresses, you know, expertly, um, whereas Peach's Castle sort of is the entire framework by which you understand super mario 64 and peach's castle like benefits just like you were saying um from the variety of uh like uh design right like hyrule castle castle is uh, very realistic in a sense but also very much like the same yeah i wish we could see um hyrule castle uh like the interior of it uh in its glory days if we do see that at some point in Age of Calamity, I haven't seen it yet, but I doubt it. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think uh, I think we're in agreement. I think the winner of the best castle in a Nintendo game goes to Peach's Castle from Super Mario 64. Okay, up next we have best collectible in a Nintendo franchise. Uh, this is this was a, a, a tough one for me, um, and uh, so please please bear with me while uh, while we go through my my nominees. Um, my nominees for best collectible uh, in a Nintendo franchise, coins, for example. First nominee is Bananas from Donkey Kong, and specifically Donkey Kong 64, because there are many different colors of bananas that can only be collected by uh, specific monkeys. They're a nightmare. I almost have them on here as like a shaming thing. I'm elevating it so we can all see how bad they are. Um, my second nominee is Star Bits from Super Mario Galaxy. Um, they are the thing that turned that game from a single-player experience to a two-player co-op experience, sort of effortlessly, and anyone can do it. Anyone can help you collect Star Bits. Um, and then my third and final collectible uh, from the Legend of Zelda series, Heart Container Pieces. Um, they are ubiquitous. They are in all of the games since the third one. Um, sometimes you need to collect four to get a new heart container. Sometimes you need to collect five. Um, and it always feels like uh, weighty and meaningful when you collect one, which cannot be said about almost any other collectible that we're going to talk about today, I think. So my three are pretty like right down the middle. They are rupees from the Legend of Zelda series. Mm-hmm. Coins from the Super Mario series, and wow. finally bananas, specifically from the r- first Donkey Kong Country game. Okay, all right. So we we've got a uh, we've got a lot of the same kind of thing happening here. <laughs> now I want to speak in defense of the bananas in Donkey Kong Country, the original game. Please. Um, one thing that I r- really think is clever about these collectibles is that the whole like plot if you want to call that or conceit of donkey kong country is that donkey kong discovers that his the banana horde has been stolen and your like goal through the entire game is to uh like 
reclaim these bananas from the Kremlins and King K rule. And so I think it is clever that the like collectible in those games are bananas because it like every each one you grab is just adding another one to your hoard. I wish it would do the um new Super Mario Brothers 2 slash uh Wario Land thing of keeping a running total yes. of the bananas as you collect them. Um I, I feel like that would make them so much more meaningful. Um when you said just coins from Mario, were you just thinking of like the original Super Mario Brothers or like this, the whole series? Yeah, yeah, that one's that one's tough. Like I was thinking just like in general, and that's the reason why it's on this list. I honest, the reason it's on this list is because it's like so iconic. Like it is the original to my mind, like Nintendo yeah. collectible. Um, I, I, I'm fine striking it. Like I don't think it holds up that great. Like when you really get down to it, it's like uh the internal there is no internal logic compared right. to like rupees or bananas. It's just like coins just exist in the world of Mario because, you know, it was a game that was made in the late eighties. It didn't matter, it was just about fun. And um like I feel like they finally found a reason to exist again with Super Mario Odyssey. But right. uh other than the fact that they're so iconic, I don't have that much to say about it. Yeah, and I, I I think that's fair. I will also support taking it off the list, uh, or at least not considering it for a- actually winning, um, along with, of course, the bananas from Donkey Kong 64. They're both thrown out. Um, I may also make a move to... Uh, I, I don't think Rupees from the Legend of Zelda series um, should win. I think it's a, it's a pretty good collectible, um, but I think, one, it is almost more of a currency than a collectible. Um, in fact, I think that is what it is. I don't know that I would consider it a collectible. Um, but also, um, I find the economy of Zelda games always to be like weirdly lopsided, right? Like when you don't have enough rupees, it's like, when am I ever going to get enough rupees to buy this thing? And like, that is true for 90% of the game. And then you get to a point where you're like, I'm never going to spend all these rupees. Um, it's like bells in Animal Crossing, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I uh, I think that's a great. I think like bells is a great example. I feel like any time that there is a mechanic in a game where you can like bank the currency, yeah, and there's you know like potential for like interest or like it just uh, it's too much. It's too much. It's too real. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so that leaves us with the following uh, three collectibles. Um, Star Bits from Super Mario Galaxy, Heart Container Pieces from The Legend of Zelda, and yours. Uh, bananas from Donkey bananas, Kong Country. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think these are, these are all good. How, how are you feeling? The one thing, one thing I like about Star Bits that I think elevates it, I don't know to winning, but elevates it above the others, is uh, the fact that it enables like a second player to participate in the game. Yeah, it's big. And, you know, they're, they're useful. Um, like, they are frequently reduced to, like, sort of currency status, right? That you're using them to feed Lumas who then turn into either launch stars or into galaxies themselves, which is a weird trippy thing that we don't ha- have time to dig into right now. <laughs> um, but, like, uh, it, it's it's that, but they're also, like, useful in the course of gameplay. Like, you can shoot them at um, at enemies to stun them or, like, knock them out. Um, and yeah, just really, you know, turning that second player, you know, as someone who could just be like watching you play is now suddenly an active participant is, you know, that's really nice. 
Yeah. And then um, I feel like I've said my piece about bananas in Donkey mm-hmm. Kong Country. Uh, and I've, I've basically said my piece about heart container pieces. Um, I which, find like, heart container pieces ab- annoying, though. Because, like, mm. I, I, I mean, obviously it's great to get more hearts and all of that. But um, I've, I've just never enjoyed collecting them. I always find it, like, more of a nuisance than anything. Which is one of the reasons I really liked the way that your heart containers expand. Or, like, the, your health expands in Breath of the Wild. Where it's like, nah, like I don't have to do any of that anymore. Like I don't have to, uh, like search out of the way places right, right, to try right. to find that like fourth or fifth heart container. Yeah, you're never searching out of the way places in Breath of the Wild. Mark, <laughs> what are you talking about? I like that's that I don't have to do game. it. I like that I don't have to do it for heart containers. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, okay, so uh, maybe maybe what we're just coming down to here is a question between bananas in Donkey Kong Country and star bits in Super Mario Galaxy. So. Uh, one thing I will say for not in defense of Don, like, yeah, basically the reason I think we can get rid of the Donkey Kong Country bananas is even though I think it is a clever and elegant way to like put a currency into the world or put like a collectible into the world, I think it is essentially just like, I don't think you can argue it's anything but just like a coin analog. And so yeah, I think true. Starbits probably takes it. Uh, also, I mean, I I don't mean to attack the logic of this again, but Donkey Kong, you shouldn't be hoarding bananas. <laughs> bananas go bad. Let them grow on trees and just pick them when you're hungry. You don't need to hoard them. They're bananas. Um, okay, so the winner of the best collectible in a Nintendo franchise is Star Bits from Super Mario Galaxy and Super Mario Galaxy 2. Uh, Mark, the next category, the next award we have to give out is best Nintendo boss not featured in a Mario series. Not featured in a Mario series, but a Nintendo boss all the same. Mark, would you like to read your nominees first? My nominees are Andros in Star Fox 64, Majora's Mask from The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, and Mother Brain from Super Metroid. Okay, so uh, we have come up against uh, something that could be pretty predictable here. I also nominated uh, Mother Brain from Super Metroid and the Skull Kid slash Majora from Majora's Mask. Um, so uh, uh, should, should I just give my, my last nominee and then we can talk about all four of them together? Sure. Um, my final nominee for this category is Gangrel, the king from Fire Emblem Awakening. He is basically, um, you know, in Game of Thrones, there is... Uh, the Mad King that we never actually get to see on the show. Um, he's the sort of guy that messed everything up. Um, and that that is basically what Gangrel is. Mm. He is a lunatic um, and he is a despot and he wants to destroy everyone and everything. And he is a bad, bad man. There's a sequence in the game where he has your sister, ex- or your sister? Some, uh, uh, she's like a princess of some kind. Um, has her executed in front of everyone and it is horrifying, um, and he's just, a, he's just a bad... He's so good to hate. Um, there's nothing particularly notable about like your actual combat encounters with him, but he's such a satisfying villain to vanquish that it almost doesn't matter. So, uh, should I go ahead and explain why I nominated Andros Star Fox, from Star Fox 64? Because I think, I think what we're both conceding is basically that we're just going to like get rid of these two nominees and focus more on Majora's Mask and... I think that's probably... Yeah. 
Okay. So the thing that I like about Andros is like the absurd kind of like body horror aspect of your encounter with him in Star Fox 64. Oh man. He's a giant floating head. Uh he's a monkey. Um and so he's like he he looks like he looks like an ape from like the mm-hmm. uh 70s Planet of the Apes films. He looks like Dr. Zayas. And he so his disembodied head is like flying around. Um and highly pixelated even for a Nintendo 64. Yeah. Game. Yeah. Or not pixelated so much as low poly. Low poly. And so, but there's like two phases to this fight. So you're fighting this, you know, ape head, and then that part falls away, and you are just fighting his brain, A brain with with eyes. eyes. <laughs> yeah, and you can like, if if you're not careful, you can fly into like his like uh, spaghetti like brainstem. Like it's yeah. it's a very insane final form for a final boss because it's just like no like his skull and skin and muscle just all fell away and now you're just like fighting this giant floating brain man i i again i know we've talked about it a couple times this year um but the star fox series does not get enough credit for how trippy and weird it is just like aggressively so yeah i mean we're not talking about it here but like andros at the end of uh the snes star fox is not this like ape thing. It's a weird it's a weird like polygonal mask head yeah. type weird thing that like shoots uh polygons out of its mouth. It it reminds me of like the uh like the f- giant f- uh head from Zardoz that like shoots yes. gun that like spits guns out of its mouth. It just doesn't make any sense and the fact that like this second evolution of it is like okay, we're going to make it an ape head kind of is also just kind like of, right. it's it's really bizarre. Um, so good good picks both of these guys. Um, but uh, the Skull Kid under the um, control of uh, Majora's Mask. Now, wh- wh- how do we like? How do we talk about this character? Right, because like it is partially we like it because it's like the playfulness of the Skull Kid corrupted by like the mask, and I don't think the mask itself has like will like it it has well what are you fighting at the very end because like the very Mm -hmm. end is like the mask kind of like floating around and it gets like gross tentacles and stuff i'll tell you the the part for me that i think is so memorable about this entire encounter is like um so you know you call on the giants to like hold it up and then they like get weak need and it like evolves into this moment where you're out kind of like in this like dreamscape and there's a tree, a giant tree. And Link well, this Ro- is you're on the moon, right? Uh, are you? I can't. Yeah, you may be. I think and I then, think you're on the moon. Yeah. And yeah, there's this giant tree and like Link runs up to it and there's like a kid or something sitting under the tree that's wearing like the mask. And it, it appears like it doesn't have a head other than the mask. And you talk to it and it's like, do you want to play with me? And you say yes, and that's when you like again launch into this like last battle. It's so like the whole game is obviously like trippy with the time travel and the moon crashing yeah. into you know Termina and all that kind of stuff. But the end of it is like exceptionally like and conceptually just like really unique in any of like Zelda game. Yeah, so a, 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 an excellent boss, a, a great like final encounter but also just like a haunting presence throughout, which I think is something that gives uh, Majora's Mask 
uh, a little bit of an edge over um, someone like Motherbrain, who is, you know, a a a background character until you fight her. Um, and obviously in uh, Super Metroid, that is one of the you know one of the great like boss encounters of all time. Um, some of the best storytelling, like passive storytelling, that you'll see in a game, especially from that era. Um, but like, I don't know, she's uh, she's weird and gross. Um, <laughs> so like, not nearly as like elegant and spooky as as uh, Majora. I I think Majora's Mask slash the Skull Kid with Majora's Mask on it is gonna be is gonna get my vote here. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, all right, very good, Mark. Would you like to introduce? The next category. Our oh, next... sorry. So that means that the winner of uh, best Nintendo boss not featured in Mario series, uh, the Skull Kid slash Majora's Mask from The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Our next category is best strategy game or RPG to give up after 10 hours. Uh, a, a good category for us, I think. I think uh, you and I, uh, in, in the work that we do over on the entertainment product that is the NCS podcast, uh, have a lot of experience with games like this. Uh, my three nom- <laughs> my three nominees are as follows: Codename Steam on the 3DS. Um, it is a um, like over the shoulder turn based uh, strategy shooter um, co- tactics game. Um, featuring uh, steampunk aesthetics and um, characters from American history and folklore and literature. It is bonkers. And there's an alien invasion. It's uh, the craziest thing you'll ever play. Um, or the only the craziest thing you'll play for about 10 hours and then stop. Um, my next nominee is, of course, Advance Wars on the Game Boy Advance, um, uh, a game that I uh, dug into earlier this year. Played for about 10 hours and then moved on. And of course, last but not least, but possibly least, Xenoblade Chronicles remastered on the Switch. Um, man, I thought for sure that like this was going to be the one that stuck, the one that I was going to play and finally understand the hype. Um, I would say that I did not even get 10 hours into this game before I was like, Ugh, I got to move on. These are, uh, yeah, like you're saying, this is such a good category for us. Um, my wall of shame is as follows: uh, Octopath Traveler, a game. Now, Mark, you you can you can only nominate three games here. Remember, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Octopath Traveler with a bullet. Um, this is a game. The the thing about like the games on my list, uh, are these are all games that I enjoyed as I played them, but for one reason or another, like decided not to play them anymore. So our Octopath Traveler fits mm-hmm. that bill. Golf Story is another one. This is like Oof. it is a action game with RPG elements, but I loved Golf Story and then just kind of like didn't finish it. Um got yeah. to one course that was a little bit hard, put it down for a while and then just never got back. Uh but it's a golf. really really yeah. <laughs> it's a really really good game and I'm excited for the uh sequel whenever it comes out. And then finally, I this actually maybe is the exception to the other two. I have the original Final Fantasy on here that was uh, released on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Patrick and I sat down one time, maybe like two years ago at this point, and played quite a bit of it in an afternoon. Um, Maybe talked a good game about continuing to chip away at it, but that game is brutal. We definitely did. (laughs) Yeah, that game is brutal, and in a lot of ways it's broken. Like, there are spells that don't have any effect um you know there are monsters that uh you know someone put a 
number in the wrong place and it's like just too hard to actually fight um so yeah there are a lot of ways in which the original final fantasy is straight broken <laughs> um like legitimately so um but yeah that's that that's a tough one because i feel like i've played the first 10 hours of that game uh more than i've played the first 10 hours of the rest of these games just by virtue of the fact that it's been around since like 1986 um but good good nominees all around uh here they are for best strategy game or rpg to give up on after 10 hours codename steam advance wars xenoblade chronicles remastered uh octopath traveler golf story and final fantasy um i think i'd like to remove xenoblade chronicles remastered as I, d- I think I probably played it for three hours. And I actually <laughs> don't think these games are very good. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the idea here is that these are the best games to play for 10 hours. I don't know that you'll even have a fun 10 hours uh, with Xenoblade. So I think uh, in, on that same note, it's fair to remove the original Final Fantasy, which is uh, fun as a historical artifact, but not really fun to play. Um, now, we have talked a lot on uh, the show about how no one could ever possibly play all of Octopath Traveler. So that may be the quintessential play for 10 hours and then never play again. Um, but I almost wonder if it is too quintessentially that. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I think, um, but, but I don't know that that's a reason to dismiss it out of hand. I mean, because yeah. yeah. I think something like uh, Golf Story, which I also nominated, is almost like too fun of a game to be on this list yeah like i think it's very conceivable that somebody could finish it and you could probably finish it in less than 10 hours so i so i'll remove golf story from this list i think the same can also be said of advanced wars which is a well-known well-regarded well-respected uh tactics game um that should come back i should have more patience with it the fact that i only played it for 10 hours like the other two games uh, that i nominated I feel fine with having given up on after the amount of time that I put into them. I do not feel fine about giving up on Advance Wars after 10 hours. I should go back to it. So I think we are now down to Octopath Traveler and Codename Steam as the potential winners for this category. These are both such strong nominees. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, feel, I, I, haven't, I haven't attempted even 10 hours of Codename Steam. Codename Steam. I think. One thing that's a like a, a point in its favor of winning is the fact that it is so bizarre, um, yeah. and it's the such weirdest. Like, it, it's so weird, and it is. Uh, it comes from uh, Intelligent Systems, which is the developer of uh, the Fire Emblem series and Paper Mario series, and this is them them just like taking a shot at like this weird little 3ds project, and so I think that speaks strongly of it or strongly in its favor versus Octopath Traveler, which I think everybody agrees is like a solid You game. can say the same thing about, you can say the same thing about Octopath Traveler though, right? That it is uh, a game from Square Enix, like the, you know, granddaddies of the RPG genre. If Intelligent Systems is, you know, the, the first and last name in tactics, uh, then Square Enix is the first and last name in JRPGs. But I guess what I'm saying is that, like, yes, that that is true. But Octopath Traveler fits the mold of what you expect from Square Enix, yeah, and uh, and I don't think Codename Steam fits the mold of what I would expect from Intelligent Systems, which perhaps makes it the more interesting artifact of its time. 
All right, very good. So we are um, the winner for best strategy game or RPG to give up on after 10 hours goes to Codename Steam on the 3DS. Um, Mark, before we get to our final um, award of the night, we, of course, have to give out the Slippy Bee Defrog Award for Outstanding Contributions to the World of Obnoxious Characters. Um, this is an award set forth by Slippy Frog, who, uh, of course, is one of the most obnoxious characters in Nintendo gaming history. Um, made history has, uh, you know, uh, countless um, contributions uh, to this genre. Um, so this is our, uh, you know, never-ending uh, salute to Slippy and obnoxious characters everywhere. Previous winners include the dog from Dunk, uh, from Duck Hunt and, of course, Funky Kong. But this year, we have decided that we are honoring Navi from the Ocarina of Time. Oh, I mean, really, what can you say about Navi? Uh, iconic for her work with, hey, and, and listen. Listen. <laughs> It's true. Um, and, you know, there are very few uh, characters that will interrupt you to tell you something that you were like, tell you to do something that you were already on your way to do um, as frequently as Navi. And I think Navi is also like the, the first in a long line of really chatty Zelda characters that um, maybe like are abuse their privilege to talk to you more than Navi does. But Navi is, a, is like the start of that. Navi is also, I guess my memory of what she actually says isn't that clear to me because I know that it is dialogue that I just jammed that A button to right. uh, skip through. Um, but she's a little bit of a bully too, right? Like <laughs> yeah, she's th- not nice to Link. No, that's her like the fun in air quotes thing about her. She has like a very kind of like Tinkerbell-ish attitude. Yeah. Which I understand could also be said about Midna, but I like Midna. <laughs> it's the small details. Like, Midna has personality, and Navi is just kind of like a ball of light with wings. Right. Uh, Midna also has the best hat on a Nintendo character. That's right, which um, we can't say for right. Navi. Mark, that brings us to our final award of the night. Thank you, everyone, for sticking through. I know these award shows tend to go long, um, but this one is the granddaddy of all awards. Uh, we are, of course, discussing the best Mario in a Mario game. Mark, would you like to read your nominations for best Mario in a Mario game? Yeah, my uh, Tanuki Suit Mario from Super Mario Brothers 3. Flood Mario from Super Mario Sunshine. And then Wedding Dress Mario from Super Mario Odyssey. Ooh, man. I was not expecting Wedding Dress Mario from Super Mario Odyssey. That is a good Mario. Um, all right, so my nominees are as follows. Mario from Super Mario RPG. Um, this is, uh, the, in, in typical Mario fashion, he doesn't speak, um, or at least, you know, like in other Mario games, he'll speak in like the little two or three word phrases that are Mamma Mia and, and what have you. Um, but he doesn't speak so much as he pantomimes stuff. Um, and everyone perfectly understands his pantomime. It's hilarious. Um, next is just Mario from Super Mario Galaxy. This is a Mario that runs and jumps through space. Um, I don't really know how to, uh, I don't know how to improve on that. He flies around space and stars and warps around gravity and tiny planets. He's amazing. Uh, and then finally, uh, calling back to our conversation about the best power-ups in Mario games, the cat. 
Mario from Super Mario 3D World. This is a, this is a little bit tough. Uh, Tanuki Suit Mario is, of course, iconic. I think it says a lot that the Tanuki Suit has staying power, whereas something mm-hmm. like the cape or the flying squirrel suit or the bell or, or not the bell propeller but like, hat yeah the propeller hat where like they will they will come and go but a tanuki suit is forever um and then we can probably get rid of the uh flood the super mario or the mario with flood backpack from super mario sunshine um it's my favorite of like the 3d movements i and you know when they talked about why they added flood they said it was because people had difficulty like landing in the right spot like doing small maneuvers in super mario 64 and i'm definitely in that category where like i appreciated the ability to make those adjustments with flood and so i I really like the movement of mario in that game um i i think that that it's fair uh i i think probably for the same reason or at least like related reasons i would like to remove the mario from super mario galaxy um which you know, it, it kind of just comes back to he moves in the way that I like him to move. Um, but there's really nothing about that version of Mario that makes him visually different or like different in any like material way. Um, so or any like character way. Uh, and almost actually in terms of character is a little bit incongruous to the rest of the game. Um, like especially given like what Rosalina is and what her story is. Uh, this kind of fun-loving space plumber uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense in in that space. So that leaves us with Cat Mario, Super Mario RPG Mario, Tanuki Mario, and Wedding Dress Mario. So let me say a few words uh, in support of Wedding Dress Mario. First of all, stunning in a white gown, tiara, and shiny blue earrings. But two, what I really like about this is that it's like having fun with mario in a way that i don't know that we've seen nintendo like it's just like mario letting loose it's like yeah like why not let mario wear a wedding dress and like earrings like and without comment right it's not like a part of the game or anything it's just like no it's just a costume you can wear like any other costume and i think it's funny i think like uh yeah like i think it i think it's great that they Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it's that it's in there uh yeah, I mean I I will agree that 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 it is great that it is in there. I think it is hard to call that the best Mario. In a Mar- <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I like it. I'm glad that it's there. I agree with you that it is funny, and that's not to say that men in dresses is uh, inherently funny. But M- Mario wearing a white wedding dress is in fact funny, objectively so. Um, but I don't I don't think it is the best Mario. You know I what I mean? That's it's, fair. It's, yeah, it's 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 too divergent from what Mario is to be the best Mario, um, which means we are left with Cat Mario, Super Mario RPG Mario, and Tanuki Mario. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts here? I don't really have a strong opinion about uh, Super Mario RPG Mario. Um, I think it's cute that, you know, he's like the silent protagonist in the world, but everybody understands him. Um, it has a little bit of that. I mean, I guess R2-D2 makes beeps, but that's sort of like R2-D2 type thing. Um, mm-hmm. but I, th- that, that's pretty much it for me. Like I, I, I wouldn't include him on this list. 
All right, all right. Uh, so we that that means we are down to, and this is a question that I think you and I have drilled down into a couple different times and probably gone uh, opposite directions on, on previous conversations, to Cat Mario and Tanuki Mario. This is tough. This is tough, and uh, it, it breaks my heart that we have to choose one of these as the best Mario in a Mario game. Um, Let it balm I, your I th- soul that, like, this yes. is not a definitive ranking. It does. It, it does, in fact, uh, balm my soul. So I guess for that reason, I think I got to go with the Tanuki Mario just for being more iconic and having more staying power, whereas the Cap Mario may, in fact, end up being the future of Mario. But the Tanuki is the past, the present, and the future. I, I just I feel like we got to give it up to that Tanuki Mario. Yeah, it's hard to disagree. Um, so there, there it is. The award for best Mario in a Mario game goes to Tanuki Mario from Super Mario Brothers Three. All right, Mark, let's close this out. All right, that's going to do it for the 77th annual Cartridge Awards. Um, Mark, uh, great show this year. Uh, I'm uh, happy. Congratulations to all the winners and, and to all the nominees. Um, a great competition this year, and uh, it just it's just good that we get to have su- such great competitors every year. Yeah, it really, truly is. Um, if you think we made any wrong calls here, you can email us at NintendoCartridgeSociety at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. But again, that email address just goes to the entertainment product, Nintendo Cartridge Society, and not to the awards-granting um, organization. So we'll just have to pass it on to them. And again, they're crooked, so it may not matter. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. You should share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. Also, you know, watch the Real Game Awards tonight if you had fun with this fake Game Award thing. Um, that's happening today. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands, or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time. Then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Bigfoot Collectors Collectors Club, you're here to to believe us. Wait, is that how it goes?
campfire. <laughs>